Good morning, everyone. I'm Pastor Allen. Uh, we're in a series called For Our City, and um, I think we're in week four or five, something like that. Today's topic is to be peacemakers, and um, we've been looking at something called the Sermon on the Mount in Scripture and making application to how we can be for our city, for our community, for our, our neighborhoods. So I want to start with a question. <clears throat> With all the conflict in our society, whether it's political, uh, racial, uh, economic, uh, religious, uh, sexual orientation, uh, I mean, the list is almost endless of conflict in our society. Here's the question. Are you and I, are we making matters better or worse? Uh, what happens is when the, in the conflict is we, we create a us and them scenario. I'm on this side, you're on that side. And it causes a divide, a division. And uh, conflict escalates or continues. Me versus you. In that scenario, which is so prevalent, who actually benefits? As long as uh, we're divided uh, racially, politically, financially, <laughs> religiously, as long as we're divided, both sides suffer, uh, multiple sides suffer. I came across this term and I thought it really is descriptive of our culture and society today. We live in an age of rage. Rage is uncontrolled emotion and we see it all over the place. We see it in our politicians, uh, it's just unbelievable. Uh, those of us that have been living for a while, uh, we wonder how we got here because it never used to be that way, not this bad. Uh, so what's the answer to a, an age of rage where there's rage all over and people are just spewing their, their, their emotions and their hate? Well, normally we have two, two responses, uh, fight or flight. And so we defend ourselves, we push back, we express our opinion, uh, I get louder, then you get louder, then I get louder than you. Uh, so that's, that's the fighting. It just escalates, usually not productive, but that's what we do. Or we flee. We draw back. Well, you guys are going to fight about that, I'm not going to get involved in that. And consequently, we are not benefiting the situation. Maybe, hopefully, we're not escalating it. But the reality is, hate cannot heal hate. And that's the bizarre thing. It's, it seems to be what people, I'm going to hate you and that's going to fix the situation, it just makes it worse. And of course, if we, if we flee, we're saying, okay, other people can fix this. It's not my problem. It's not my responsibility, et cetera, et cetera. Especially those of us that are Jesus followers. If you're not, we're so delighted you're, that you're watching or or present, uh, hopefully this is going to be beneficial to you. Uh, but as Jesus followers, we're responsible. The reason we're left here, the church is left here, is to be influencers in our society and culture. Now, <clears throat> we're going to go back to the Bible, back to Jesus' day. Somewhere around 30 AD, Jesus began His ministry. And as divided as our country and our society is today, it was much worse in Jesus' day. 
Again, you, it's hard to imagine being occupied by a foreign nation. And they basically had their heel on your neck. They can basically, the Roman Empire could do what they wanted to you. They could rape and pillage and you can say nothing about it. They could tax you. Uh, that's the, the, the culture you were living in. The, the people Jesus were talking to, that's, that's what they were dealing with. And of course, they had the same responses. Some of them want to fight, some of them want to take up arms, but the odds are really against them. Any kind of insurrection or revolution, they would get wiped out by the Romans. This was in the, a period when the, Roman, uh, the height of the Roman Empire. Or, or other people want to just flee, run, hide, whatever. And then you had the divide between, in the culture between races. Uh, we talked about before uh, the Samaritans, they were half Jewish. The Jewish people hated Samaritans. They didn't even think that they were fully human. Of course, they had slavery uh, as part of their culture. And not just racial slavery, it was, anybody could be a slave, any race. So they were divided in ways we can't even imagine their culture. Now, Jesus comes along, he teaches this, and we're going to look at part of this Sermon on the Mount, this radical teaching of Jesus. We can't imagine how radical it is, because most of us have heard it before. In the midst of all this division and hatred and rage, Jesus comes along with this message. Now, let me ask you a simple question about his message. Did he take sides? Did he take sides? Oh, we, we, we need to be submissive to the Romans, do whatever they, they want be good citizens, or did he say, let's take up arms, I'm going to cast out the Romans, just follow me. No, 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 he didn't do either of that. His message was something about something greater, something higher, something deeper, that would have enormous transforming effect on the culture. And I believe that's what I want to talk about in the series that's going to come up in a couple weeks. He didn't take sides. An interesting thing is in our conflict is if I don't say what you want me to say, whether it's about politics or whatever it might be, racial issues, automatically you think I'm on the other side, don't you? And that's what happened to Jesus. And that's what happens to us. We're going to look at the beginning of this sermon, of this teaching of Jesus. It's called the Beatitudes. He lists eight or nine things, he said, if you want to truly be, uses the word blessed in this life, if you want to have a higher quality of life, these are the things you're going to do, should do, and they're completely counterintuitive, often opposite of what we would normally think or want to do, even in religious circles. So today, one we're going to look at is in verse 9 at the beginning, chapter 5 of Matthew. Again, Matthew wrote this. Matthew was one of these people that were ostracized by his country and his religion because he collected taxes for the Romans. And of course, Jesus obviously treated him differently and he began to follow him. <clears throat> God blesses those, use the term peacemakers, this translation says work for peace. Not just hope for peace, not just sit back and watch for peace, but you get your hands dirty you sweat at trying to make peace. And he says, they'll be called the children of God. So this message was not political. This message was spiritual, 
personal, internal, deeper, as I already said. Uh, another translation, uh, Amplified kind of elaborates on these, some of these words, says it this way. <clears throat> blessed, what does blessed mean? Well, spiritually calm with life joy in God's favor. That doesn't sound like conflict, does it? That doesn't sound like rage. Spiritually calm with life joy in God's favor. Are these peacemakers, these makers and maintainers of peace? If we can have peace, <clears throat> certainly maintain it. But in most cases, what do we need to be? We need to be out making it, working for it. And the consequences of that, the results of that will be express His character. Whose character? God's character. Jesus' character. And as Jesus followers, that's what we're instructed to do. Should be our, our desire, goal, motivation to express Jesus' character. And consequently be called the sons of God. Now, who's going to be calling the sons of God or children of God? Everybody's a creation of God. You become a child of God through the act of, of sal we call it salvation, accepting, and we'll talk about it more in a minute here, uh, accepting God's gift. He adopts you into his family. At that part, we're automatically called sons of God. So what does this peacemaker thing have to do? I think it has to do with people around us. <clears throat> people are going to say, hey, there's something different about you. You must be one of those little Christs. That's what Christian means. Uh, you must be one of those Jesus followers because you don't act like most people act. You don't do the things most people are. You don't get, escalate the conflict. You're actually in there working hard to be peacemakers. So, my first subtopic is simply this. Be a peacemaker. Work at making at peace. Now, let me say something that might shock you. Peace is impossible. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Didn't you say we're supposed to work at peace? Yeah. The two aren't next necessarily exclusive. <laughs> peace is impossible in the physical, political realm, world, nation realm. If you read your scriptures, you know it says there's always going to be wars and rumors of wars. Just the way it is. We're going to talk about why in a, in, a, in a minute. But peace is impossible because people don't have peace on the inside. And what's on the inside comes out. We talked about what Phil spilled. You don't have peace in here, you're not going to have peace out there. And so we have divided hearts. I mean, even those of us that are Jesus followers, but before you become a Jesus follower, you definitely have the divided heart. You're divided from God Almighty. Your sin has separated you. And, and all of us were there at one point. And so you have this division. You have this, you have this internal lack of peace. Internal actually at times could be described as rage. You, the Bible describes a person that's not a Jesus follower as the enemy of God. Not because God chose you as an enemy, because you chose Him as your enemy. And when we choose to sin, we've all done that. We've all been there. So, we're separated from God in that, in that spiritual part of us, internal part of us. There's no peace. There's a complete lack of peace. And it may even feel like uh, somebody's pulling strings. And I want to give you the bad news. Somebody is. You can call him Satan, the devil, you know, evil, whatever you want to call him. 
He described his goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. Does that seem like peacemaking? He wants to steal your happiness. He wants to steal your purpose and meaning in life. He wants to steal your relationship with God. He wants to literally kill you if he could. Uh, kill, us, keep, or kill or keep you killed spiritually, keep you separated from God. And he wants to destroy you. Nothing brings Satan more joy than, than destroying things. And so when people go out and riot, which is, is kind of, I, I can't comprehend, other than the fact I know the rage on the inside comes out, but how does destroying stuff make things better? Uh, again, deceived. Satan's deceiving, and he, and he just laughs as we destroy our communities and uh, the people, consequently the people around us. And he tells us a lie. And here's a lie. <clears throat> we believe what he says is good for us as opposed to what God says is good for us. That's kind of a little definition of sin. When you and I sin, we believe something other than what God tells us is good. Good for us. So here, here's the state of all of us. We're all separated from God at one point, And we can't fix it. There's this big divide, this big division. There's no peace. And Jesus comes along and says, I'm going to bridge the divide. I'm going to make it a way for you and I to, to get from here to God. So he came to earth. He suffered and died. He paid the price for the bridge to be built. Put it that way. Bridges nowadays cost millions of dollars. Well, he paid the price. Uh, you can't put a price tag on it. The price to allow all of mankind to be in relationship with God, to be at peace with God, to no longer have God as our enemy. And as a result of that, you have peace within. And we're not, this message isn't about that, but it's described in different ways like, it's undescribable, this peace. And this peace you can have no matter what, what turmoil is going on around you. So what's, what's this actually look like? Let me give you a couple sub-points here, and we're going to look at something elaboration on this topic that Jesus added. First, peacemakers reconcile broken relationships. Or we work at reconciling broken relationships. I've said this often, true value in life is in relationships. It's not about how much money you have, it's the quality of relationships that make life worth living. So, later on, Jesus brings up this topic, and he said it this way in verse 21 of chapter 5 of Matthew. <clears throat> You've heard that our ancestors were told. This means, we'd say, Old Testament. You must not murder. In fact, this is one of those things we call the Ten Commandments. Um, if you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. This is a penalty. This is not acceptable. Now, let me back up a little bit. What was God's intent in giving the Ten Commandments? What was God's intent in giving the law? Well, once was to keep a, a civil society. You go around killing people, you don't have a very civil society. But on the spiritual side, God gave us the law to show us that we couldn't do what we're supposed to do. <laughs> we break the laws, and since we break the laws that God gave us, it puts us at odds with God, like I already talked about. And the other thing that's always amazed me, the... We talked about the Pharisees, I believe, last week. These are the professional religious people. They're full-time religious people. I guess I fit in that category. I'm a full-time religious person. Most of you, you have jobs and, and you do other things. 
they knew the Ten Commandments better than anybody else. In fact, they, they memorized the whole law. And yet, they, their goal was, and they ultimately succeeded in doing what? Killing Jesus. Mind-boggling, right? Uh, they were deceived. And um, as a result, Jesus was crucified. Uh, the Romans didn't kill Jesus. Religious people did. So he said, okay, you heard that. You know that everybody knows that. Even today, everybody's heard that. It's even against the law today, I think, most places in the world to kill somebody. But Jesus is going to change it. He's going to raise the level. <laughs> He's going to make it impossible. Because I ask anybody here, if you literally killed anybody, probably, I don't know everybody, don't know everybody listening, and if you literally have killed somebody, I'd be curious to hear from you. Uh, so we all feel pretty smug in our righteousness, as we talked about last week, right? Um, but Jesus said, no, 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 no. He goes on, he says, but I say to you, it's not about the literal part of the law, it's the intent of the law. Now, in our, our court system, it's hard to judge intent, isn't it? But God can judge intent. If you're even angry with someone, you feel like killing them. Probably all felt like killing our kids at one time. Didn't we? All right, so uh, let's not go there. Uh, even if you're angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. I mean, I don't have to actually kill them. <laughs> no, 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 no. You, you're, you and I are guilty. We've broken the law. And then he used a couple terms. If you call someone an idiot, I don't know about you, when our kids are growing up, we wouldn't let them use that term. Uh, about the only time I use this term is when I'm driving and the other person can't hear me. Uh, when they do a three-lane or whatever. Um, this is talking about intellectual insufficiency. All right? This term here. So if you say to somebody, you, you know, you're intellectually lacking. <laughs> uh, you're in danger of being brought before the court. So literally in their day, if you use that word, uh, they could take you to court, fine you, whatever. And if you curse someone, the word here literally means accuse somebody of um, no moral integrity, lack of morals. So we have the intellectual level and the moral level. You're in danger of the fires of hell, which is even more severe. So what's Jesus getting at? He's getting at intent. What is he saying? People matter more than anything. People have value. They have so much value, I was willing... They come to earth, suffer, and die for everyone. Other places, the scripture calls this the law of love. So the law of love supersedes all these other laws. One way we can summarize it is this way. Conflict is inevitable. You and I get on, you, whoever you, I get in conversation with, we can find some topic that we're going to disagree about. And depending on how strongly we feel about topic, it can escalate to a conflict easily, right? So, we're all different. So, conflict's inevitable because we're all different and because there's sin. But combat is optional. We don't have to fight. We can agree to disagree. I think our culture has kind of lost that, uh, that ability. But as Jesus follows, we can't. We can't. So, in a couple of ways to say it, it's this. 
Peacemakers fight fair. We see life as precious. We see it as a priority over uh, some issue, political issue or some other issue. Uh, in marriage counseling, we often use this term. We say couples need to fight fair. And that usually involves saying don't, don't use the word always and never and so forth. There's just certain buzzwords you should never use in, in, in your marriage relationship. You need to fight fair. And the thing is, don't bring it, keep bringing up the past. The past is the past. If you've forgiven somebody, deal with the present. You know, fight and fair. Well, that, not just in marriage, but in all relationships. A peacemaker is somebody who fights fair. That we want the relationship to win, not to win the battle. We always tell couples this. If, if, if the husband wins the battle with the wife, the wife loses. You want your wife to lose? I don't want my wife to lose. And consequently, the relationship loses. So you've got one winner and two losers at best. I came across these three L words, and I thought it was a good way to kind of keep us on track here. If we want to be peacemakers, first and foremost, we have to listen to other people. Boy, we don't see that much in our culture, do we? I just want to blast my opinion at you, expect you to listen to me, but you're not willing to listen. I'm not willing to listen to you, excuse me. So, truly listen. We said this before. Everybody has a good reason to believe what they believe. They do. From whatever background they have, whatever intellectual understanding they have, etc. They have, in their mind, a good reason to believe what they believe. And this is huge for those of us who are Jesus followers who are trying to talk to people that aren't. We need to listen to them. We need to value what they think and believe because they believe it for some, to them, a good reason. And to yell our opinions at them is worse than doing no good. Consequently, if we truly listen, then we learn. We learn. Oh, well, that makes sense why you believe what you believe. Because your upbringing, your schooling, your, your, the environment you're in. I can't understand what it means to be a black person. I can't understand what it means to be an oriental person, an Indian. I can't understand. I'm not, I, I'm not one of those people. I can't understand what it means to be a female. <laughs> and all guys and women would admit that, right? So listen and learn. And the third L, loves, uh, third L word is love, which is kind of a catch-all. So I thought I would read a part of what we call the love chapter. It's, Paul wrote this. It's in what's called 1 Corinthians 13. And I want to just read just one part of it, one verse, and see how it applies to being peacemakers. Love does not demand its own way. What is everybody doing in our culture today? Trying to demand their own way. Love doesn't do that. As a consequence, we don't see much love in our society. Who are supposed to demonstrate that? Jesus followers. This next one's tough. This is not irritable. We all get irritable, don't we? And love doesn't get irritable. What? How, can, how, can, how can love not be irritable? My definition of love is what's best for the other person. So, my wife irritates me sometimes. I irritate her a lot more than she irritates me, I'm sure. But anyway, uh, why does that happen? It only happens because I'm not thinking what's best for her. If I'm thinking what's best for her, 
I'm more concerned about irritating her than her irritating me. Same with our culture and our, our neighborhood. And then this, this third one, keeps no record of being wronged. Nobody was wronged in a greater way than Jesus. <laughs> and he's willing to forgive us. So we said this before. Our forgiveness is so big, of God for us is so huge, we should have no trouble forgiving anybody else. Now let me ask you something, some question. Does that all come natural? Of course not. We naturally want to demand our own way and we get irritable and we keep records of wrong. But as Jesus follows, that's to be our nature. Jesus' nature. So, Peacemakers are also need to be proactive. I love that word, the way it was translated, work at peace. Not sit back and hope for peace or hope somebody else does it. And Jesus uses this fascinating illustration. It's always amazed me, the, the insight, always of Jesus, but this, in this particular illustration he uses. <clears throat> Next verse goes on and he says this. So if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar at the temple, now, this is a little difficult for us to understand, so we'll just kind of say, you know, you go to church. But in your case, it was a little bit different. You would have to line up for your turn to do the sacrifice. So it's kind of like in some long line you would be in someplace else. And I think that's a little easier for us to understand what's going on here. We're in a long line waiting. And maybe we're up close to the front. And suddenly remember something. Like you left the stove on at home. You remember someone has something against you. Not that you have something against them. Maybe you, you think things are fine, but you remember or come, maybe somebody tells you this, I don't know. Somebody else has something against you. Leave. Leave your sacrifice there, which I think is significant. That means you're coming back, and this is important. But again, this affects this. And he said, before you're trying to you know, connect with me, you need to fix this. He said, so, so go and be reconciled to that person. Fix it. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. When you and the person across from you are good, you and I can be good. The implication is when you and that person across from you is not good, we're not good. In fact, Scripture talks about husbands, you need to be careful. If you're divided with your wife, your prayers won't get answered. Man, that's a tough one. I think that God would to the degree of not answering my prayer because I'm at odds with my spouse. Now, Paul later in Romans chapter 12 says this, if at all possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So the implication is what? It's not always possible. So you went, hopefully you reconciled. Maybe you went and you couldn't. You did all you could. And you couldn't. See, I know I don't, and probably most of us don't see how significant this affects this. And I got to thinking, well, why do we struggle with it? It's not my problem. I don't have anything against them. Why do they have something against me? And the only word I could come up with is an ugly word, is pride. Pride. And you and I can't have pride as Jesus followers. 
this relationship, fixing this relationship, I should be willing to sacrifice any kind of pride I have for the, for the relationship. So the purpose has to be reconciliation. Making the relationship right. That has to be the priority. Relationships, I, I say this often, spiral up and, or spiral down. And the only way they spiral up is by work. Especially if they're in conflict. Their spi- conflict is spiraling down. To stop that spiral and turn that spiral around, it's hard work. But the goal, that's got to be the goal. The goal is, is to heal. So let me finish with this. Imagine if all of us were peacemakers. Peacemakers in the homes, our extended families, the church, in our communities, our workplace, in our political system, in our social system. Imagine we all became peacemakers. And here's what that really means, and I don't think we grasp this, if we care for others more than ourselves. And we don't. Not really do we. But that's what we're called to. Jesus cared more about us than himself. You and I are supposed to care about others more than ourselves. So there's conflict all around us. But you and I have the answer. Because we know it's a, the source of it's from the inside. And we know the only answer to, to that, that rage on the inside is Jesus. So I came across this and I was studying this way. I thought, this was really good. Maybe it relates more to us because we were literally foreign missionaries, international missionaries, lived in another country. It's easy there, you think. Everybody's different. They look different. They're talking different. They do things differently. So you automatically realize that you've got to learn their language, learn their culture, all these things to connect with them. And our goal was to help connect them with Jesus That's the way we need to look at our culture, like we're all missionaries. Um, They don't think like we think. They don't see things like we think. So we need to listen, learn, and love. Where should you be a peacemaker? Think about it. Where can you become a peacemaker? mentioned several areas. Hopefully, first and foremost, is with God. In a lot of ways, that's the easiest one to fix because God's standing there with His arms open, saying, I love you. I send Jesus to die for you. Accept my gift. I'll forgive you for your sins and invite you into my family. I'll adopt you. Kind of hard. It seems like hard to resist that one. If you've got conflict in your home, or with your kids or with your parents, start there. And then look, God has given us all opportunities to be peacemakers. That's what He's called us to. Let me pray with you and let you go. Uh, Father God, it is so sad, but this, this world will never have peace. And we know it's impossible to have peace on the inside without you, your son Jesus. Consequently, there's not going to be peace on the outside. But you called us to do the impossible, to be peacemakers, to at least be the distributors of peace, of your peace. And I do. I pray for all of us that opportunities to do that. The wisdom to go about it, the courage to actually do it. And for anybody that's not at peace with God, 
I can't say it strong enough. My prayer for you before you do anything else is to settle that peace. Settle that war within inside you. Accept God's gift. If you need help with that or if you've made that decision, please contact us or some Jesus follower you know to help you guide through that, through that life-changing, truly eternal life-changing decision. God, we thank you for your presence. We thank you that you've spoken to us today, hopefully clearly, and we'll be your obedient servants. In Jesus' name, amen.